short epistle in the New Testament called the book of James has been historically one of the most controversial books in the Bible. Many have lauded it as a down-to-earth guide to practical Christian living. Others, like Martin Luther, have denounced it and have questioned whether or not it should even be included in the Bible. What is the book of James all about? Why is it so controversial? And should it really be considered a part of our God-inspired scriptures? Stay tuned. Lamb and Lion Ministries presents Christ in Prophecy, a program that focuses on the fundamentals of Bible prophecy, showing how current events in the news relate to biblical predictions of end-time events and the soon return of Jesus. Now, here's your host, Dr. David Reagan. Greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope, and welcome to Christ in Prophecy. I am delighted to have as my special guest this week a dear friend from Louisville, Kentucky named Alvin Price. Welcome to Christ in Prophecy, Alvin. Well, it's good to be here. It's good to be in Texas. It's better to be at Lamb and Lion Ministry. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, Alvin is a systems analysis and software developer and a lifelong student and teacher of the Bible. He is actively involved in Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky, one of the nation's largest churches. And don't you sing in a special group there? Yes, I sing in the Master's Men. It's a group, a male chorus of over 100 men. Wow. I I would assume by the way you talk, you must sing bass. Yes, I sing bass. Way down there. Yes, way down there. (laughs) Okay. Well, I've heard that group, and it is outstanding. Tell us about your family. Well, in August this year... Be married 50 years to the same wonderful lady. We have four children, 11 grandchildren, and one great-grandchild. We have one son who is a missionary with his wife, and we have two grandsons, one in the ministry and one training for the ministry. Well, I tell you what, that's enough to make your uh, buttons pop off. That that is wonderful how God has blessed you and your family. That is really, and congratulations on that 50 years. My wife and I celebrated our 50th anniversary last year, so we beat you by one year. Well, we'll catch up with you. (laughs) Okay, okay. Uh, Folks, uh, several years ago, uh, Alvin decided to memorize the entire book of James and start presenting it as a dramatic dialogue. His presentation of the book is mesmerizing from beginning to end. And in a few minutes, we're going to show you a segment of his uh, presentation. In fact, Alvin, uh, before I ask you why in the world you ever did this, why you memorized the book of James, why don't you just look into that camera right in front of you and give us the first four uh, verses of that book. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Oh, thank you very much. Wow, I just get goosebumps when I hear you doing that. You know, folks, in a few moments we're going to give you a part of of his presentation, the introduction that he does uh, to the book of James, and he's going to be in full costume, so hang on. Now, let's go back to the question I wanted to ask you. How, why in the world did you decide to do the book of James? Well, I was teaching an adult Bible class on the book of James, and my practice is to read through whatever book I'm teaching every day, if it's not Isaiah. And uh, <laughs> at two or three days, I realized this is a timeless book, and it's dealing with issues that have not changed. So I challenged the whole class to memorize the book of James, 
I'm the only one who memorized it. <laughs> and then after I was cast as Nicodemus in the Southeast Easter pageant, I realized that God had given me the ability to act. So I went to the Lord in prayer and I said, if you will help me turn this into a drama, I will take it wherever you open the doors. And I've done that. How many times have you performed it? Well over 120 times. 120 times. And we're talking about five chapters here, aren't we? Yes. Plus the introduction. Yes, the prologue. <laughs> and all in full costume. Yes. And, and probably in a person. great variety of settings. Yes, in prisons and schools. <laughs> Is that right? Yes. In fact, some of the greatest response, the Holy Spirit has moved more powerfully in prisons than anywhere else. Is that right? Wow. What part of the book of James do you like the best? Is there a certain segment of it that stands out? Well, over the years it changes. But probably the one that I wouldn't even thought of being important, but has turned out to be very important, is where he says, if the Lord wills, we shall live, and also do this or that. And I realize that the greatest blessing is the life that he gives yes. us. Yes. Well, praise the Lord. We're going to take a pause here for just a moment and come back and talk about this a little bit more. Welcome back to my interview of Alvin Price concerning the book of James. At the beginning of this program, I said that the book of James has historically been one of the most controversial books in the Bible, if not the most controversial, right up there with the book of Revelation. Alvin, why is that? Why is this seemingly simple book about how to live a Christian life so controversial? Well, I think many people have misread it and think that it says that we can work our way into salvation. It does not make that claim. If you'll read it carefully, in every place it talks about works. It's talking about works as a demonstration of faith, mm -hmm. real faith. This is the problem I guess Martin Luther had with it. Now, he, he rediscovered the whole concept of salvation by grace through faith, and that was his fundamental message. And then he got very upset with the book of James. Well, if you know his biography and have read it, you realize that he really did try by his own effort to meet all of God's requirements. And he was depressed. Ended up miserable. <laughs> Ended up terribly miserable. And so when he thought that this book was saying that God was requiring us to work our way to heaven, he couldn't handle it. Mm -hmm. But the point is that really uh, not only this book, but uh, several places in the, in the uh, New Testament, for example, the book of Titus, uh, point out that um, we don't work to be saved, but we work because we are saved. In fact, we're saved for good works. And, and to do, do good works for the Lord. Yes, and uh, it's amazing. In the last chapter of Second Corinthians, Paul even challenges them. When they were challenging him about his Christianity, he says, test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. So evidently, he knew that there was a way of looking at your own life and determining whether yeah. or not you truly were a follower. Sure. What would you say is the overall fundamental message of the book of James, if you had to summarize it? Well, I think it's probably the most practical corrective for Christians who are still dragging the old man along with them instead of allowing God to truly work through their lives as He would. Yes. Down-to-earth, practical information about how to live a Christian life. It certainly is. One if it doesn't step on your toes, you're either comatose or you're lying to yourself. <laughs> 
What are those two? Well, I would agree with that. You know, uh, the book of James is one that I, I just have a lot of favorite passages in this book. That, uh, In fact, you get over to uh, chapter 4, and there's a whole series of them. You do not have because you do not ask. How many times in our Christian life do we not pause to ask the Lord for something that we need or want, and we decide we're going to pursue it ourselves? Well, I think that's our tendency. We've grown up in a nation where it's what you do on your own. Anything that you can decide to do, you can do, which isn't scriptural. Yeah. In fact, it's not even true. Well, I remember when I discovered this passage, it really convicted me right to my heart about all the times that I tried to do it instead of asking the Lord. And uh, I remember early in the history of this ministry, uh, probably in the first or second year, I had an old broken down car that would hardly run. We had a board meeting and I said, folks, I got to have a car. I mean, this thing won't even run. And they said, yes, you, you need a car. So you get a new car. And I said, okay. And one of the board members said, how are you going to do that? And I said, well, I, you know, I'd go down and trade in the car and set up some payments and so forth. And he said, well, that's how the world does it. He said, this is a ministry. He said, why don't you ask the Lord for it? He said, let's just join hands around the table here and let's pray that the Lord will supply us with a vehicle. I said, well, okay. So we joined hands and we prayed that the Lord would supply it. And so the next newsletter I put out, I just put in there, we need a vehicle for this ministry. A lady from Oklahoma City called me that I had met one time in my life. And she said, I saw that. How much, how much is, uh, would a van cost for the ministry? I said, this was back in 1981. I said, well, probably about uh, $15,000. She says, that all? And I said, yeah. What would the uh, uh, license plates and, and all that cost? I said, I don't know. She said, well, I'll make the check out for 18000 and you'll have it tomorrow. <laughs> now, we could have gone to the bank and set it up and do all that. But we asked the Lord. You went to God's bank. Yes, and he supplied. And then another one in that same, same chapter that just has always been so important to me, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And that's true. And I think too many people feel so distant from God and not realize they aren't really drawing near to yeah, God. Yeah. And then this one, humble yourself in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. Boy, I tell you that... To me, that is so important. Just humble yourself in the presence of the Lord, and He will exalt you. And, and all those are just in one chapter, chapter 4. I've got so many favorites. And you know one that, that, that became one of my favorites not long ago is where he talks about, he says in verse 17, he's talking here in, in chapter 5 about praying, and praying for those who are ill, anointing them with oil, and so forth. And he comes down to verse 17, and he says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. It did not rain on the earth for these three years and six months. And he prayed again, the sky poured rain and the earth produced its fruit. And one day I was reading that and it just, I had read that a hundred times, but that day it spoke to my heart. And I thought, you know what that's saying? We take people like Elijah and Isaiah and people like that and we put them up on a big pedestal and we say to ourselves, they had a special 800 number to God. They had a special relationship with God. I can never have a relationship like that. He says here Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He was like you and me, but he relied on the Lord. Now that, that says a lot. Yes. <laughs> yes, and I'm afraid that many of us think that somehow we are accepted from that, and we're not. No, we're not accepted at all. But there are just so many, many wonderful things in here. I, uh, I have a whole list of them here that uh, just means so much to me. And over the time, I haven't memorized the book of James, I have to admit that, but I sure love to read it and look at all of the wonderful portions in it that uh, apply to us now and then, like this one. 
if anybody thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his own heart and his religion is worthless. Now that steps on my toes and a lot of toes. This is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father to visit orphans and widows. Well, I thought pure and undefiled religion was going to church every Sunday and saying hallelujah and doing all this. I have to visit widows and orphans? He wants us to show His love to the least. He did, and we're supposed to too. Well, we're certainly the least. That's, that's for true. Well, it's just a wonderful book. And I tell you, I have been so blessed uh, at uh, seeing you present this book. God has given you a very, very special anointing. And um, I pray that you will be able to continue delivering this presentation until the very day of the rapture. I would like that. In fact, it means more to me every time I prepare to deliver it. It never gets old to you, huh? No, it never gets old. How can the Word of God get old, you know? (laughs) Well, I don't, it can't for me. It's alive, it's real, and it's a blessing to be allowed to do it. You know, that's the way I do sometimes. When I get up to preach a sermon, I've preached a hundred times. I'll say, Lord, Please make this as fresh as the first time I ever tried to preach it. I just want it to be that, that spontaneous, that fresh. And move with your spirit. Because <laughs> without the anointing of the spirit, we don't get anything done. Well, what I'd like to do, Alvin, is have you present. We're going to let people see you present the introduction to this book. And do you want to say anything before we do that to introduce this piece? Well, not really. It's an introduction you wrote, right? Yes, it is. Okay. And... Uh, I found out that so many people do not realize that uh, James was the brother of Jesus Christ. And so to prepare them for the book, they needed to know his background, and that's the prologue. Okay. And so, folks, here it is, Alvin Price presenting the prologue to the book of James. Hello, my name is James. I believe you know my brother. My father's name is Joseph. My mother's name is Mary. I grew up in Galilee in a little village called Nazareth, and Jesus Christ is my brother. Many people think of Jesus as an only child, but Jesus had both brothers and sisters. And two, the gospel writers give you the names of his brothers. There was James, that's me, and the eldest after Jesus. And then there was Joseph. You would have called him Joseph Jr. And then Simon... And the last son was Judas, whom you know as Jude, because that's the name given to the letter he wrote to the churches. People always want to know, what was it like to grow up with Jesus? Well, let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever been compared to an older sibling? Well, the oldest child is often considered the perfect child. But in my family... The oldest child was Jesus Christ, and he truly was a perfect child, and I suffered from every comparison. Luke tells you that when Jesus was 12 years old, we as a family went up to Jerusalem for the Passover. Now, the Passover is a seven-day feast. We went up with our neighbors and our friends and our relatives. After all, we were all going to the same place for the same reason at the same time, and it was safer to travel in groups. We went up to Jerusalem. We stayed for the entire Passover, and then we were returning from Jerusalem back to Galilee. We were a day's journey down from Jerusalem when my father discovered that Jesus was nowhere in the group. 
where we trudged back up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is on top of a mountain. It was three days before we found Jesus, and we found him in the temple discussing law and ethics with the Pharisees and the scribes. It's the only time I can remember my mother scolding Jesus. And Luke tells you what she said. Jesus, why have you treated your father and me in this way? Well, Jesus just looked at her rather quizzically. And he said, did you not know that I had to be about my father's things? Well, I could tell by mother's expression she had no idea what he was talking about. And, of course, I didn't. But think about it. When Jesus was 12 years old, he knew who he was. And Luke goes on to say that Jesus returned to Galilee with with his parents and was in subjection to them. Perfect Jesus, the incarnate son, being in subjection to imperfect parents, that's what it was like to grow up with Jesus. No wonder, Luke tells us, he grew up in favor with God and man. Everyone loved Jesus because Jesus loved everybody. The next question that's always asked is, how soon was it that you realized he was the Messiah? Well, again, the gospel writers give you the answer to that question, for it says his brothers were not believing in him. And that's true. We did not believe. We understood what his claims were, but we did not believe him. It was not until after he was crucified and arose from the dead that we accepted Jesus as the promised Messiah. People ask me, how in the world could you grow up with perfection and not realize it was God? Well, it just irritated me. After Jesus Christ ascended into heaven, a group of his followers met in Jerusalem. We were in a prayer meeting. At the end of the list that Luke gives you of the attendees, he includes Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. We were at the end of the list because I think we were the last to believe in him, but we did believe in him. And I did not know that day what God had in store for me, for I was to become the presiding elder in the church of Jerusalem. I also was ignorant of the great distress the church would undergo. Luke tells you in the book of Acts that Herod the Grippa I was mistreating the Christians, and he arrested James, the brother of John, the son of Zebedee, and put him to death with a sword. He saw that this pleased the Jewish leadership, so he threw Peter in prison. Now, this is the springtime in Jerusalem. It's near the Passover, the time we consider as Easter. He threw him in prison, expecting to bring him out for a public trial after the days of unleavened bread. The night before the trial... An angel came into the cell. Well, let me describe it to you. Peter was asleep between two soldiers, and he was chained to both of the soldiers. There were soldiers outside of his cell. And the angel comes in. He wakes him up. He says, bind on your shoes, put on your cloak, follow me, we're getting out of here. The chains fell off of his wrists. He followed the angel. They passed by both of the guards. They got to the door to the city, The door opened of itself, and he followed the angel into the city. They were a block into the city when the angel disappeared. 
And then Peter realized it was not, not a dream, that this was real. So he went to John Mark's mother's house where he knew that prayers were being offered for his release, and he knocks on the door, and Rhoda, the servant girl, comes to the door, hears his voice, runs back inside and said, Peter is here, and they all thought she was crazy. But when they let him in, he told them how God had released him from prison, and then he said, report these things to James. That's me. By that time, I was the leading elder. The persecutions continued. Those who could sold everything they had and moved out into Judea and then into Samaria, but the persecutions followed them. So we ended up with small little groups of Christians, fledgling new Christians all over the Roman Empire. We were a cross-section of the culture at large. We had the rich and the poor. We had educated and uneducated. We had Jews and Gentiles, and they never got along. And then we had some who were truly transformed, and many who thought they were transformed, just like it is today. So we were experiencing persecution from without and dissension from within. We could not get along. I heard from many different small groups, we can't get along, what are we to do? And I prayed, oh, I prayed. I prayed night and I prayed day, oh God, what should I say? What would you say if you were here? What should I do? And God answered those prayers. And the answer to those prayers has become a letter that the Holy Spirit anointed me to write, which has become a New Testament letter in your New Testament that bears my name. I would like to tell you the message that is in that letter. Alvin, I think you missed your calling. You should have been a professional actor. <laughs> I tell you, that was a blessing, brother. Well, I enjoy doing it. In fact, I enjoy watching the crowds when, when I am doing it because I find out that many of them are really pulled into it. And, you know, you just can't beat good material. Well, <laughs> hey, that's good. Uh, you, you did have a good writer. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. Now, uh, Alvin, uh, one of my favorite parts of the book of James is to be found in chapter 5, verse 7, where it says, Be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Like a farmer waiting on his crops, he says, You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Now, that was written almost 2,000 years ago. Was James mistaken there when he said the coming of the Lord is at hand? No, he certainly was not. The passage there is using a case that we don't even have in English. It's in the present perfect active indicative. And it means that it's talking about a state that occurs right now that's based upon a finished action in the past. When Jesus Christ was crucified, arose from the dead, and ascended into heaven, He had completed His work to save us. That's the completed action. So His nearness, His immediacy in coming, it's just a matter of His Father saying, it's time. It's time. Jesus has to do nothing more. All of it's been done. So you're saying then that this warning to be ready for the coming of the Lord at any moment is as relevant to us today as it was 2,000 years ago. It's still the same tense. It's still the <laughs> present perfect active indicative, and it means that the state now is based upon an action that is fully completed. Do you believe we're living in the season of the Lord's return? I certainly do. What convinces you of that? 
Well, there's too many prophecies that I see that are being fulfilled on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, all we have to do is look at our weather patterns. <laughs> now, people say, well, there's really no change than they have been. I'm not sure that's true. Yeah. What about Israel? Well, they're back in the land, and they're hated by almost everybody. Uh, Again, I think it's a fulfillment of prophecy. What we're seeing is just everything coming into place. That's right. Like it has never been before. It's just all coming together. And um, it's an exciting time to live. it's, It's a scary time in many ways when you turn on TV and you see all the things that are going on in this world. But when you know God's Word, you know that God is in control. Yes, He is in control. Yes, He certainly is. Because we're seeing things that were prophesied 2,000 years ago or even further back than that. Yes. What an exciting time to live in. I I just don't think there's hardly any time in history more exciting than this except for the first coming of Jesus Christ. Alan, I'm sure there's people out there wondering, how in the world can we get in touch with this fellow? How can we invite him to our church? How can I invite him to my television program or whatever? So why don't you look at that camera and tell people uh, how to get in touch with you? Well, they're going to show on the screen the website that you can contact to get in touch with our uh, with our ministry. Ministry, Amen. Because what you do with brother is a ministry. Okay. So, folks, uh, what you need to do there is you need to uh, contact uh, him through that website, and uh, he will respond to you and let you know whether or not he can come and speak at your church or your organization or whatever. But this is a message that needs to get out to as many people as possible as quickly as possible. Well, Alvin, I want to thank you so much for being with us. You have blessed my socks off, as we say here in Texas. And uh, uh, brother, anytime you're in this area, you just come on back by to visit us, okay? I'd love to. (laughs) Okay. Well, uh, I send my blessings with you and with your wife, Rachel, as you travel back to Louisville. And I pray that many, many people will be contacting you and that this will just open up new doors for you to present the book of James to many other people. Anything else you want to say to us from the book of James? Well, no, but I just am so thankful that God has enabled me to present James in a way that is getting through to many, many people. Even to young people, I would imagine. Oh, yes. Uh, children as young as six years old just sit there as if they're mesmerized. <laughs> I, met, I, I would imagine they are mesmerized, just like those prisoners that you were talking yes. about in the prison there. I would imagine that they are. Well, let's uh, conclude by you uh, quoting uh, those uh, James 1, 26 and 27, if anyone thinks himself to be religious. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, his religion is worthless. This is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Thank you so much. Folks, uh, as we bring our program to a close this week, I, our announcer is going to share with you about how you can get a video of Alvin's entire presentation of the book of James, including that wonderful uh, introduction that he has written. So you get a pen and paper ready because you're going to get a copy of this. I hope you'll be back with us next week. Until then, the Lord willing, this is Dave Reagan speaking for Lamb and Lion Ministries saying, look up, be watchful, for our redemption is drawing near. 
The Book of James comes to life as Alvin Price presents a dramatic enactment that will touch your heart and uplift your soul on the DVD entitled The Book of James. Before reciting the book, he presents a very clever, humorous, and insightful introduction, telling it what it must be like to be the brother of Jesus. This is a great program for both individual and group study. The five chapters of James, plus the introduction, can be used to present six teaching lessons about a book that is full of practical, down-to-earth instructions about Christian living. This DVD album can be yours for a donation of $15 or more, plus the cost of shipping. Just call the number you see on the screen and ask for The Book of James, Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Central Time, or order online at lamblion.com. This would make a great gift for your pastor or church library. Thank you for joining us on today's Christ in Prophecy, a presentation of Lamb and Lion Ministries, a non-denominational ministry dedicated to teaching the fundamentals of biblical prophecy and proclaiming the soon return of Jesus. 